When we started our time together in this letter, I quoted from a few theologians, and I I think it uh, bears uh, our time to hear what they said again as we culminate our time together in this letter. Uh, John Calvin wrote concerning the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, when anyone gains a knowledge of this epistle, he has an, an entrance open to him to all the most hidden treasures of Scripture. The English poet Samuel Coleridge referred to Romans as the profoundest piece of writing in all of existence. The noted biblical scholar F.F. Bruce once said, There is no telling what may happen when people begin to study the epistle to the Romans. And William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English, believed that every Christian should memorize this book. As we've been looking over quite a while now, this letter is a masterpiece of communication. Paul is wrapping up his thoughts on his deeply theological explanation of the gospel. The gospel takes center stage. The good news of Jesus Christ is highlighted from chapter 1 through chapter 16. Now, we've looked at it from different perspectives, from from different angles, but it has been Paul's main point to draw our attention and heart to the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul has explained, he's defended, and now he has called us to live out the implications of what good news means to us. And so I've hoped over the last few years now, or a year and a half, almost two years, that as we have taken time to look through these words that Paul wrote concerning the good news of Jesus Christ, that your hearts have been not only challenged, but encouraged to see the goodness of God and what it means to live out in a gospel way the good news. See, good news isn't just for us. Good news is for the world. And that good news as it's lived out in us is a, is a light that draws people to the Lord. And so I pray that you have found ways to see how the gospel not only has changed you, but is changing you every day with every breath that you have. These final words that, that Paul writes for us in this letter are, form a benediction and we've looked at some of the benedictions that are already in the letter. It seems as, as Paul was writing, whether it was in chapter 11, as he summarized his thoughts about God's work in Israel, he, he wanted to end that section with a benediction. What's a benediction? It's giving thanks to God. It's praising God for his great work, for his loyal love, for his faithfulness to the generations. In chapter 16, we found uh, a, a long list of, hey, say hi to this person and this person, and, and here are the people with me, and they send their greetings. And there was a warning in there, and now Paul culminates with another benediction. We found benedictions all throughout this letter, and, and in a way, Paul was so moved in his spirit that he could not go any further until he gave thanks to God. And we talked about the goodness of God, and we sang about the goodness of God this morning. And I pray that in your life, with every moment that you have, that you have those moments where you can pause and all you can do is give thanks to God for His goodness in your life. I mean, think about that. How good is the Father towards you? 
Someone said awesome, right? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 we're unworthy to receive such goodness. And I would encourage you that you can always find reasons and ways to praise God. Even in your worst day, if the Lord knows you, that is enough. Because He will never leave you nor forsake you. And He has set your feet on sure ground. And He has given you a purpose that extends long beyond what we see and experience in this earth. And so I pray that you can join Paul in thankful praise for the goodness of our God. Now, a few weeks ago, when we looked at some of the people that were with Paul as he was finishing up uh, writing this letter, we mentioned that one of the men that was with Paul was a man named Tertius. Uh, Tertius was actually the guy that wrote the, the letter. He was the secretary. He had the, the quill in his hand writing it to the parchments that would be um, traveling along with Phoebe as she brought the letter. Paul spoke the words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Tertius wrote those words to the people in Rome. But what's interesting is at times when Paul was using a secretary... He would often take the pen out of their hand and put it in his hand. And he would write some things. We see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. So all the letters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It was like he was signing his name to the letter. And here, I believe, much like he did in 2 Thessalonians, much like he did in all the other letters, when he came to these closing benedictions, he took the pen from the hand of the secretary, put it in his, and he wrote these final words. And so as we close our time in this letter together this morning, it's my prayer that we can join Paul's thankful praise for the gift of the gospel. And as we do so, I want us to see some anchor points, some things that we can hold on to as we consider the goodness of God through the gift of Jesus. This final doxology that we're looking at in verses 25 through 27 forms the longest doxology that Paul writes in all of his letters. Paul focuses on two realities concerning the gospel. He focuses on God's work in the gospel, and he focuses on God's wisdom in the gift of the gospel. And so in verses 25 through 26, we see God's work. And so if you have your Bibles open, um, please follow along as I read these words. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. If you have a pen in hand or a highlighter or, or something to mark your, your Bible, I want you to under, underline the first three words. Now to him. Now, that seems like a common doxology beginning. It is, because really, 
our praise is not directed towards anyone else. It's to God. But when you think of everything that Paul was saying to this point in the book of Romans, as you hear him kind of wrapping things up about what it means to know the gospel and why the gospel had to come and what it means to believe in the gospel and the transformation that takes place in our lives when we submit ourselves to the good news of Jesus, all we can do is say now to him. I mean, isn't that where all of our praise begins and ends? To the Father, our Creator, Sustainer, Giver of life, blessed God forever. When we consider the depth of the good news, when you consider where Paul began in chapter 1. I mean, it it began in in the reason why he wrote this letter as he was sharing his greetings and and sharing his desire to be with these people. And then he says in Romans 1, 16 and 17 that the power of the gospel has the ability to change the Jew and the Gentile. To bring every person into a right relationship with God the Father. When you consider the greatness of the gospel, as God interrupted the dismay and despair of humankind. And through the gift of Jesus, His wrath is no longer pointed towards sinners. But by faith in the gospel, God's wrath is satisfied. And that people who now belong to Jesus, who have trusted in Jesus, are not objects of God's wrath anymore. But they have been given a new righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. And beyond that, God doesn't just positionally change us, but through the power of His Spirit given to us, working inside of us, God sustains us with every breath that we have. That even though there is a struggle between the flesh and the new life, God will not give up on those who have trusted in His Son. And His energy through the Spirit, right? The the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The power of God. The power of God dwelling inside of us sustains us. Not only to just make it through a day, but to allow us to live the way that God has always wanted us to live. And that God is faithful to keep us and use all things, good and bad, for His good, for those who love Him. And that there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ. And that the goodness of the gospel isn't just good news for the Jewish people. And it's not just good news for the Gentile people. It's not just good news now for the Gentile people. It's good news for everyone. And God will return to his love for Israel. And as we wrap those thoughts up, Paul says, Now lay yourself down on the altar of God as a living and holy sacrifice. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and the giftedness that he's given you, let your life be a transformed life. And don't divide over issues that really aren't that important. You see the goodness of the gospel all throughout 
this letter because it's only as a result of a gospel that any of us can stand before God as His child transformed. We are declared free and we are given a new righteousness in Jesus Christ. To Him, now to Him, to God alone, we give glory. Church, if the only thing that we would ever say from this point forward until the end of time is now to Him, it would be enough. Because there is not enough minutes, seconds, days that we could exhaust to stop saying those words. Paul's praise is rooted in God's ability to do what only God can do. Paul says, now to Him who is able to establish you. That word establish comes from a word that it's a compound word, and part of that word means to prop, to prop up. It means to hold something up. Now to him who is able to help you stand. That's what Paul was saying. Stand in what? The grace of God. As a person that was once committed to death row, And has been set free by the grace of God through the gift of Jesus on the cross. God establishes you. He holds you up in the gospel. See, the gospel isn't just a one-time event in a person's life. It's not, well, okay, when I was that age, I did that thing in that place. The good news of Jesus Christ helps every believer to stand up every day with every moment. What Paul is saying is that it is only God who can make us stand as a result of the gospel. The deep theological foundation of Romans is that God alone is able to make us stand strong and be steadfast. Paul said it another way in Philippians 1.6 when he said, He who began a good work in you will bring it into completion in the day of Jesus Christ. You know what that tells me? Now to Him who was able to establish you, that our salvation, that my salvation, is not dependent on my effort or energy. It's not dependent on my perfection that our standing in the gospel is dependent upon the power of God to establish us. That should be a source of great comfort for you this morning. It should be. Some of you are like, I don't know. Let me say it this way. What Paul says in Romans 16, 25 now to him who is able to establish you is the New Testament equivalent of Psalm 46, verse 10. Cease striving and know that I am God. Now to him who is able to establish you. It's not based on you. 
Your relationship with Jesus Christ, even now, is not based on you. It's based on the goodness of God on your behalf. Certainly, we have a good Father. It's God alone that can establish us, as Paul says, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, this phrase, my gospel, has caused some people to wonder or to think, was Paul teaching something different? I mean, he says, my gospel. But it's not that Paul is teaching something different. It's not, something, it's not that he was teaching anything contrary to the other apostles. Remember, he has just given a final exhortation in Romans 16 to beware of false teachers, to be aware of the wolves that will come in and devour and to, to distract and to pull away the people that were believing the gospel message. And remember, Paul didn't evangelize Rome. There was already an established church there. He was writing because he wanted to see them, and he was writing to encourage them. And as he's writing, he reaffirms the gospel truths in their lives. And he says, watch out. And as he culminates all of this in thankful praise to God, he says, listen, it is God and God alone that is going to establish you according to everything that I have taught you in all of the chapters that were before this, which is the true saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's enforcing the truths that he has pledged a supreme commitment to communicate. That a relationship with God is based on His Son, Jesus. It is faith alone in Christ alone. And that His death on the cross satisfied God's wrath that was directed towards sinners like us. That eternal life and forgiveness can only be found by believing in God's Son. Listen, no other message will make the sinner's heart right with God. No other message. Only the gospel, which means good news. And as a result of that good news is the preaching of Jesus Christ. The proclamation of the gospel is the revelation, as Paul says, of a hidden mystery. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of the faith. Here's what Paul is saying about this good news that God establishes in us in. This mystery wasn't hidden in the sense of it was blocked off, it was walled off, it was invisible. It was like a mystery that was already on display. Like in the book of Genesis when we read a few weeks ago that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Or like in the Passover when the blood of the perfect lamb was... uh, painted over the doorposts and the death angel passed over the homes of the Israelites that were in Egypt. Or that in all the sacrifices and the temple worship and all of those reminders of the holiness of God and and the desire that God has for us to be holy like He is holy. 
or all those reminders like in the book of Genesis when Abraham is called righteous because he believed God. It was there, but we didn't quite understand it. We didn't see it. Israel didn't see it. They had all of these prophets, as Paul says, that were pointing towards a future Messiah, a rescuer, someone to deliver them. There were all these promises, but none of those prophets understood what it meant, what it was going to look like for a baby to be born. And that he would have no stately form. He would be despised and forsaken. And he would be rejected. And he would be killed on a tree. According to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. It's not a mysterious thing. But it was something that was once concealed and now is revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. It was kept secret for long ages past. Israel had the promises, but they only knew part way. They only could see a little bit. And then Jesus came on the scene and everyone's eyes were wide open to the good news of God. This gospel, which was a mystery, now is manifested, Paul says. This word manifest means to make known or to shine a light upon. When Jesus came to the earth, the light was shining upon the one who would rescue the hearts of sinful men. Jesus came by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God. What Paul is doing here is he's pointing us back, way back, like before time began back. And he's pointing us to now. That when Jesus came, he did not surprise anyone in God's plan. There was nothing that Jesus did. There was nothing that Jesus said. There was nothing that Jesus wouldn't accomplish that would go against what was already established in the Word of God. Jesus was truly the fulfillment of the promise given. Paul concludes here with what he said in Romans 1 verse 2. What did he say in Romans 1 verse 2? He said this, Let me read verse 1 again. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Peter agrees with what Paul says here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, when Peter writes this in the beginning of his letter, as to this salvation... The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Here's what Peter is saying. When you read through the pages of the Old Testament and you're reading about this hope that is to come, everyone was at the edge of their seat, waiting, longing, expecting. But when Jesus came, it surprised everyone to the point where they're like, nah, that can't be like that. 
I thought he was supposed to be a king that was to deliver us, to conquer the Romans, to crush them. Well, that will come, but not right now. Jesus had more important business to do than just to conquer enemies of Israel. Jesus came to conquer the greatest enemy, death and the grave. And when he died on the cross for our sins, everything that he did was in fulfillment of the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come. What the prophets were looking for is what God had promised according to the eternal command. The eternal command. Listen, when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, God, was, God the Father wasn't just sitting up in heaven and saying, oh, I have an idea. Let me send my son right now. It was according to the eternal command. Before time began begins like long ago so long ago that there was no time and you can't even count it long ago because there was no time so it's not even a long time ago it's crazy it makes my brain hurt to think about things like that but paul wrote in ephesians 1 that before time began god chose us in him and in Rome, or I mean, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through, I think, 11 or 12, um, Paul is talking about the glories of the salvation gift, what God has given to us in Jesus. And this plan was put together before God ever spoke anything into existence. For me, if I was on the throne, if I knew that was going to happen to my creation, I might not have created it. But God didn't stop. And there was never plan B. It was the divine decree of God to give us His Son as surety of our salvation to be with Him. The good news of the gospel is that your creator desperately loves you and wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants to be close to you. He doesn't want to just be someone that you believe in that you go visit one day a week. He wants to be by your side every moment. And as we made our way through this letter, it was made known that the gospel is God's power. It was first revealed to the Jew and then to the Gentile. This gospel has been made known, as Paul says in this benediction, to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. It was to all the nations. Jesus is the only sufficient Savior for a hurting world. Let me say that again. Jesus is the only sufficient Savior for a hurting world. Nothing else will cure the sinful heart. The sinner will stand condemned and be the object of God's wrath 
unless they believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. And for us who have good news and believe good news and have rested our life in good news, we have the message what they need to hear. And so as we've been looking in Romans, week after week, it's my prayer that you can go and take the good news to the people that we can't reach right now in this building, in this context. And I hope you know that you have an amazing mission field all around you every day. And the people that you rub shoulders with, the people that you pray for, they need good news. And there is only one good news. Listen, when Paul says that as God establishes us in the truth of the gospel, he leads us to obedience of faith, the connection is clear. Justification, which is being established. That one-time legal decree from a holy God that we are made right, declared right, free and forgiven, causes us to have right standing with God, and it produces right living for God. God not, not only wants to change us positionally, He wants to change us every moment. He wants to create Christ-likeness in us. He wants to mold us and shape us and fashion us into the glorious image of His Son. That's the process of sanctification. That's the process of living for God in a fallen world. Having a sin nature that is at war with the new nature that God has given us. Because the old nature doesn't like to be changed. It's comfortable. It's satisfied. And God says, no, there's something more for you. Don't settle for the things of this world, the treasures that are in this world. Don't settle for that momentary, ah, that feels good kind of moment. Rise up to the greater things, to the things that lead to life. The God that establishes us leads us to obedience, but not for obedience sake. The obedience of faith. Notice we are not called to obedience of faith first, then believe in the gospel. It's like, okay, you do all this stuff right, then you can come to me, and then I'll come to you, and everything will be better. He says, believe in me, have faith in me, and I will lead you where you need to go. God knows that we cannot clean up our lives enough before we come to him. We can't. Listen, this morning, if you're trying to please God first so that you can know His love, you can't. Can I just encourage you with that? I know it sounds discouraging, but it's really a great encouragement. It sets people free, kind of encouraging. There is nothing that you can do that can please a holy God. You are dead in your sins and trespasses, but the grace of God comes in. God loves you so much that He looks past what you are doing, and he says, I'm going to give you what you can't earn yourself. And so Jesus came. And then he wraps up in verse 27, to the only wise God, 
through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. I mean, is there any truer statement than to the only wise God? Paul fittingly ends Romans with praise to God for his wisdom, primarily for his wisdom in the gospel. Who could come up with such a truth? That, that to me, is one of the clearest declarations of the inspiration of this book, the divine inspiration of this book. That this book that we have in front of us is not the opinions or thoughts of men. And we've talked about this before, but how do you, over the span of some 16, 1800 years, have 40 different authors agree on a message of grace? That there is no book, individual book, in the 66 books that make up the scriptures where there is one book that teaches something that is contradictory to something else that was already said. And what is that something that is already said? To have a relationship with the God that this book tells us about is not by what you do, but it's by belief, by faith. And a holy God who is offended by sin and must judge sin is the one that steps in to create the remedy for the problem that we have. To the only wise God. Listen, we need to stop looking everywhere else for wisdom. We need to start looking in His Word for wisdom. What do we mean by wisdom? We mean about the application of truth, how to live, how to be transformed, how to be conformed into the image of Christ. You know, the issues and challenges that we face in life. We can have all sorts of experts and opinions out there, but the only opinion that matters is God's because it is only God's truth that will set us free to the only wise God. It's only in His divine wisdom that He made it possible for those who were once sinful, depraved, dead, to be made alive in His Son. It's only by His wisdom that enemies of God are made into His sons and daughters. I don't get that. But that's what happens. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, And He's all that we have. And He is all that we need. Salvation is possible only through Jesus and His cross. Through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Now to Him, be the glory forever. Amen. Church, I pray that we can give Him the glory that He is due. Through the gospel, eternity will display the glory of God as blood-bought sinners spend eternity singing His praises for the salvation we have received in His Son. As we wrap up our time in Romans, in this wonderful, marvelous letter, 
may I encourage you to really never leave the book? Like, we're going to finish our time studying the contents of this letter, but don't leave the book. Yes, I know that there are 65 other books. Spend time in those books too, but don't leave the book. Remind yourself of the power of God put on display through Jesus Christ, who is the true righteousness of God. When you are discouraged or overwhelmed, read again how God has declared you to be righteous through faith in His Son, and that He has forgiven you all of your sins so that His wrath is no longer directed towards you and you no longer stand condemned. Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Be refreshed in the presence of the Holy Spirit who sustains you in your sanctification as God conforms you into the image of His Son. Rest in the sure promises that nothing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God which is revealed in Jesus Christ. Lay down your life on the altar as the supreme act of worship as you use your gifts to serve God and His people. And be thankful in the wisdom of God He has brought like-minded people. Look around. No, really, look around. He has brought like-minded people for you to live and share this life with. And even though we're not always going to agree on all those convictions, we press on for the goodness of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. And we lay hold to the power of the gospel that has saved all people who place their trust in Jesus. Now, earlier this week, I asked by way of email for, for you to share anything that God was teaching you as we have uh, taken time to study this letter. And, and uh, I received quite a bit uh, of responses, and I appreciated that. It wasn't for me. I, asked, I didn't tell you this, but I asked you to share for you. Um, and I just want to highlight some of the uh, awesome things that God has shown you in our study in Romans. And I'm just I'm paraphrasing, and I'm just reading short excerpts of some of them. One person wrote, um, they make notes in their Bible when something hits them, and it, it was in chapter 12 that they found more notes and underlining than at all the other chapters. And so as they're going to go through and remember their time in Romans, they're going to be able to look back at that portion and say, okay, this is what God was saying to me. Another person, uh, I, I think they were, wrote down some of the things that I said, which, hey, that's, that's pretty good. Someone was listening. Um, but they wrote some of these things. No one is beyond the grace of Jesus Christ. And righteousness is not pursued. It is given. Another person wrote, I found that our study in the book of Romans helped me in my Christian walk for everyday living and what the Lord is requiring of me in my daily walk with him. Another person wrote that in Romans 13, our time together studying that passage about being subject to governing authorities, well, that's a fun one, right? Actually helped them on two separate occasions to witness to other people that we're talking about what's going on in the world around us. One person said the study helped them, especially concerning our time discussing Christian liberty 
that the do's and don'ts shouldn't divide us, but that we should remain united in the gospel. Another person said, Romans 12, verses 1 through 8, shine forth again as we study these passages together. They wrote, I love how we're encouraged to transform by the renewing of our mind, then in verses 3 through 8, to use the gifts and abilities that God has given us to serve Him. Another person said, about a year ago, and I, I didn't remember this at first, I actually had to think about this, but a, a year ago I gave a survey to you to kind of read through and um, survey yourself about some areas in your life, about things that control us. And this person went on to say that they had never heard it described as Christ has already given us the victory. And so they said, it gives me hope to know that the battle is already won. And then the final one I want to read, and this, this is really what it's all about. This person wrote, I do not recall and have tried not to interpret my understanding of the gospel in the past. But I can say that this series has helped me understand the simplicity of the gospel. I thought I became a Christian when I was 12 years old, and after hearing the sermon series, I wasn't so sure. Therefore, during this series, I have repented of my sins and turned to Jesus as my Savior. This is the power of the gospel the goodness of God to you. That the sinner is brought home and forgiven. And so don't leave this book. Return to it. Next week, we're going to talk about the wisdom of God. Uh, We're going to take some time and look at Proverbs again. We did Proverbs about seven years ago, and, and can I say there's a whole lot that has happened in the world in the last seven years that has caused me to want to return. Um, And so let's praise God together for the gift of his good news. Let's pray.